Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. We're going to continue in our series in Daniel. We've got two weeks left in Daniel. We're going to just do the first half of, well, we're going to do the first half of Daniel as this series. The second half, Daniel becomes a very different kind of book. And I think it would be good for us to uh, dig into that at another time. But this Daniel series, we're just doing up to one to six. And today, we're going to do just half of one of the most famous stories um, in Daniel. Um, so Daniel chapter six. Um, I'm going to just pray, ask the Lord to help me to speak, help you to hear what he's saying, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll dive in. So Lord, we just want to say thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this great, lovely, wonderful time together this morning. Thank you for just the sense of what you're saying to us about your word that never fails. Thank you, Lord, for words of hope and faith that you've been wanting to put into us freshly today by your spirit. Lord, we thank you that when we gather, you are with us. And you emphasize things to us that we need to hear in those moments. And we want to pray that you would do the same thing, Lord, through the preached word. Holy Spirit, we pray you'd be wonderfully active in people's lives. Let's be very sensitive to everything that you're wanting to do among us, I pray. For your glory, Lord. Amen. Amen. So Daniel 6. um, I'm going to read a bit, preach a bit, read a bit, preach a bit, read a bit, preach a bit. So, first five verses. If you remember from last week, it's gone from a Babylonian kingdom into a kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Um, And historically, we know that it was a very straightforward transition. It wasn't a huge war or anything like that. And so now Daniel is actually now serving another kingdom. He's in the same place, but he's serving another kingdom. He's now serving Darius the Mede instead of Belshazzar and before him, Nebuchadnezzar. So D- Daniel now, um, he's, we're talking, he's now a very seasoned, a very seasoned man. He's been um, out of his nation and exile for decades. He's proved the faithfulness of God. Um, and he's, we're, now, we're now dealing with someone who's a very, very uh, seasoned man in God. So first five verses. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. A satrap was like a regional governor. Okay, so they would govern certain regions of the kingdom. So over the kingdom, there's 120 of these to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Wow. What a, what, imagine someone said that about you. Imagine that. That's extraordinary. We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Malcolm unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Imagine that. What an extraordinary thing. I want us to just focus in on, on the way Daniel is described here. 
in order to be encouraged, hopefully, and not intimidated. We're told he had an excellent spirit in him. That word excellent means kind of preeminent. He, he stood out. He was distinguished. He was distinguished even among these three. These other two that were set over the 120, they would have been uh, significant. They would have been people of stature. Um, they would have been trustworthy. But there was something about Daniel. And the way that it's chosen to be described is that he had an excellent spirit in him. He had the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he had the Holy Spirit in him. But this word spirit is an interesting one. I've been doing a bit of a Bible study just on the way the word spirit is used in, in the Old Testament. And it's talking about the inner man, the inner person, the, the inner life, that which goes on privately, but, but out of which everything else comes. That's the thing about people. What does Proverbs say? Above all else, guard your heart, your center. Your center, why? Because from it flow the springs of life. Everything comes from the center. And so the state, the state of yourself on the inside, the state of your heart, the state of your spirit, it overflows in your attitudes. It overflows in the way that you think. It overflows in what you say and how you say it. It overflows in your choices and your priorities. It overflows in what kind of person you are. Daniel had an excellent spirit in him. And the, 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 the chief word that is used to kind of describe that is faithful. He was faithful. This man could be trusted. This man wasn't just, a, wasn't just the kind of guy, you know, oh, when people are looking, he looks amazing. And then as soon as they turn their back, you know. I helped to coach um, kids at boxing. And, and when you're looking at them, they, they try their hardest. As soon as you turn away, you turn back and they're like, uh, da, da, or looking in the mirror, you know. It's like, hey, not just when I'm looking, Yeah. That's not going to, you might get a well done, but that's not going to actually coach you and train you. There's something about faithfulness, which is an inner thing, right? And it's where, it's where something, something is going on in your heart where you know that what you are doing, you've been entrusted with. Whatever it is, you've been entrusted with it. And beyond what the actual thing is naturally, it's, it's something that God has put into your hands. And it's not ultimately yours. You're a steward of it. And as you're faithful with it, then it will flourish. And then one day God will say to you, well done. And that well done, it's like, it's kind of like, it, it will touch something in the depth of our spirit that no other well done can ever touch. We all like well dones, right? The well done from God is a completely unique well done. It's the, it's the well done that our soul longs for. It's that sense of, it's that, 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 that brightening of the face, that thrill of the heart. I, I've, I've done well with this. Daniel was faithful. He was a trustworthy steward. You could give something to him. And because of what was going on inside of him, you could trust him with it. He wouldn't just work really hard when Darius was watching. No. Yeah. He, he knew he was under the eye of God the whole time. Now, some, I've, I've heard people say, you know, back in the day, you know, where people used to, everyone used to believe in, in, in the Christian God in some kind of generic sense. That this idea that God was looking over you is kind of really psychologically damaging. and all. I've heard this such, such thing said. I think it's the most wonderful thing in the world that God is looking over you. For two reasons. 
The first reason is this, is that when I'm misunderstood and people, people say, oh, you only did that because of that, or they think things about me, I know that there's one who sees my heart. Yeah? Isn't that wonderful? As long as your heart is right. We'll get onto that in a minute. But I know there's one who sees my heart. So, so people can say stuff, but although it's hurtful and all that, there's something in me where you go, yeah, but I'm not building on it. I'm building on another foundation underneath that where I'm living before him. Yeah? And so in that sense, I can be hit. I will feel those things, but ultimately I know who I'm doing this for, and he saw my heart. Well, that brings real security. On the flip side, but equally positively, there's, there's, there's parts of me, there's parts of my character, there's parts of me that are potentially quite lazy, um, uh, potentially yeah, a bit kind of self-indulgent, um, a bit uh, kind of timid in an ungodly sort of way. The fact that I know the Lord is watching me keeps me from the worst manifestations of those things. It straightens me out. That's not psychologically damaging. That's really helpful. It might be a bit annoying <laughs> at times and a bit, oh, can't get away with that. But that is the sort of thing that builds your character. Because you know you're going to give an account. This is an incredible thing here. And I, I think the thing I really feel in my heart to hone in on before we go on to the, the next few verses and, and see how the story develops is this idea that here, here, is, a, here is a man that regardless of who is looking, he's the same. That's an extraordinary thing. Who are you when no one's looking? Who are you when no one's... Are you the same when no one's looking? Or do you perform when people are looking? Here's a man, he had an excellent spirit. That his intern, he, he was living out of his center. He was at, living out of that place of peace in God. There was contentment. There, was, there would have been poise. We see an immense poise in moments of real crisis with Daniel. Why? Because he trusts God. He knows God is faithful. He knows God has got him. And we can allow ourselves to be inspired by this if we're believers today. And why is that? Because the same Holy Spirit who lives in Daniel has been given to us through our faith in Jesus. Amen. And we know that it's a journey to godliness. It's a journey to growing into Christ-likeness. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit who is at work in us, the Bible says, both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. The Spirit's at work in us. And so if we will work with him, if we will yield to him, if we will not resist him, he will, he will make us like this. He'll make us like Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you? <laughs> do you? Because we all know the right answer. But I'm asking, do you know this? If you cooperate with the Holy Spirit, if you don't resist the Holy Spirit, if you allow God's word to teach you and the Holy Spirit to instruct you through his word. He will transform you bit by bit, day by day, into being more and more like Jesus. That is the truth. He is at work. The sanctifying work is the Holy Spirit's work. You haven't got to make yourself more like Jesus. You cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He makes you more like Jesus. Okay, You yield to him. When, he, when you know, uh, I'm going I'm to grieve him here, you don't do it. Okay, You're, you're cooperating with him. You're sensitive when you know, do you know what? Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have said that. 
then you straighten it out. You're just cooperating. Through just cooperating with him like that, he will make you more and more like Jesus. But it's not passive. That it involves cooperation. So, here he is. What a guy. We love Daniel, don't we? Have you grown to love Daniel over these weeks? I mean, what an inspiration he is. But let's read 6 to 9. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counsellors and the governors are agreed. I'm not sure Daniel is, but anyway, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. The reality is, is a lot of the trouble that Jesus got into was through envy. A lot of the trouble he got into was, we're told that they, that they wanted to kill him, the, the, the leaders of the day. There was an envy about him. He was one who, he, was, um, he, he, he walked in the power of God. He was one the crowds flocked to him. There was an envy that on a human level motivated their hatred for Jesus. We know that Satan was behind it. We know that God's sovereignty was working out his purposes in it. But on a human level, the trigger was envy. Same here. They can see that this one is going to be put over everyone. Darius has got a plan to exalt him over the whole kingdom. We hate this. Maybe it, maybe, it's, maybe it was a racial thing. We don't know what it was. Maybe it was just a personal thing. Maybe it was just a human thing. But I thought we've got to find a way of stopping this. So they create a new law. Now it's really important. I want to just stop at a moment. Just think about laws for a moment. Because laws, how do laws work? Well, laws are in a, this is not a democracy. It's fun in there. If that's your kid, I don't know, if they sound okay? Are we good? If you're worried about them, do what you've got to do. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I'll just try and shout over them. Um, now, in terms of in a democracy, when a law, when part of what creates the situation, <laughs> there's no shame, there's no shame, no shame in the gospel. <laughs> in, a, in a democracy, basically what tends to happen is that there are cultural shifts which create pressure on politicians, which then almost kickstart the process of laws being introduced and laws being changed. And then when those laws are, are changed, those laws then go on to reinforce that culture shift, if that makes sense. Okay, so you've got this kind of dynamic of culture and law and how it works. And uh, I want to speak a little bit as Christians about how we relate to law in two really, really important ways. And the, and the first way I want to say is that I want to say that Christians ought to be the most law-abiding people on the planet. Okay? I'll say something else in a minute. Okay? But before I say that, they ought, please hear this point. Please hear this point. Christians ought to be the most law-abiding people on the planet. Okay? Why? Because we respect, we, we respect law. Why? Because God is a God of authority and he, he, he himself decrees laws. That the idea of authority and law is a good thing. If when I say that, something in your heart goes, I want to say, watch yourself. Watch yourself. If something in you hates that, something in you rebels against that, you've got to ask some questions about your heart. 
You've got to ask some questions about what's going on in your own spirit about authority. Okay? Inherently, it is not wrong. It is, it, God is a God of authority. He creates laws. And so it's part, it's really, and God is a God of order, not chaos. And Satan, at his heart, is a rebel. Okay? He's a rebel. And so he loves that rebellious spirit, rebelling against good order. He loves it. So we've got to think this through, because I'm not sure that message always comes through super clear in our culture. Understatement of the year. So we don't just, we don't just abide by the laws when, when people are watching. Yeah, and obviously there are certain laws that are more important than others. That, that is, obviously that is true, I understand that. But all the laws are there for a reason. Laws are there because they're supposed to reflect the values of a nation, not just pragmatism, but the values. This is what is okay, this is what isn't okay. And it's really important that we honour that whole system and that we have in our hearts just that kind of that bottom line approach of, I'm going to submit to this. A submissive spirit is a good thing. The most influential and fruitful man to have ever lived was the most submitted man to have ever lived. Jesus was completely submitted to the Father. He wasn't out doing his thing. He was totally devoted to the will of the Father. And as such, as now exalted to the highest place, king, the King of glory. Our attitude to authority is key as believers. If you can't learn to to um, live well under authority, you will not be able to exercise authority well. Okay? You can only be entrusted and do well with authority if your relationship to authority is fundamentally sound. It's so important we understand these things. Biblical principles. Biblical principles. Very, very, very important. So a law is made. And now we're going to read what Daniel does, and this will bring in the second element of how Christians relate to laws. <laughs> when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. As Christians, we obey and submit completely to the laws of the land until until they transgress a higher law. Not until they're annoying. Not until we can't see the point. Not until no one's looking. Until they transgress a higher law that has our complete devotion. Daniel here, at this point, it's not exactly, it's not defiant for the sake of it. He didn't start doing a new thing because of this law. I'll show you. 
he carried on doing what he had always done in spite of this law. This law was now beginning to encroach upon his devotion to God and he publicly uh, refuses to tolerate it. And this is a really important principle for believers to recognize. If we live in an increasingly secular world, secular nation, then the laws will increasingly not reflect the values of the kingdom of God. And there will come moments where believers go, no, I'm not doing that. Because if we constantly shift and change and adapt, it's the, you know, the image of the, the frog boiling in the water. I'm sure most of you have heard of it. Don't even know it, actually. What is that? How does it work? Something like you put a frog into some cold water. I don't even know if it's true. Put some frog in some cold water, boil him up, and he's, he's just fine. Why? Well, you're not actually fine in the end, but he doesn't mind the, the process. Because, uh, <laughs> not that I'm inside the frog's head, but you know what I'm saying. Because it's a gradual, the water gets gradually hotter and hotter, suddenly he's boiled and dead. You, you stick him in, you bounce out if it's boiling straight away. And as things just gradually become more and more compromised in our nation, they're, 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 you, as believers, we, we have to be able to spot those moments where you go, no. Regardless of consequences, no. You hear that? That's quite strong. We're going to look at the consequences next week. Regardless of consequences, no. I am not going to adapt, I'm not going to adjust, I'm not going to cave in, I'm not going to go underground. This is a really fascinating part of this story that Daniel doesn't go underground. He could have carried on praying. It's a really fascinating part of the story. He could say, okay, the Lord's been made, don't carry on praying. Well, I'm going to carry on praying, but I'll just shut my windows. It's very interesting that it's the first time we've heard of Jerusalem since the start of the since the start of the, of, the, of the book of Daniel. And so he's been facing towards Jerusalem through his open windows, which was part of when the temple was made by Solomon. There was this whole thing of, you know, wherever you are, scattered as you, you know, face Jerusalem. So he's, he's doing that. And obviously in Daniel's conscience, he's going, if I shut those windows, I'm, either con I'm, either com I'm compromising in some way. And I'm not going to do it, regardless of the consequences. And I do think it's time that the church in the UK needs to hear this. So that when these moments come, and they're probably not too far away, unless, unless God does an amazing revival and just, the nation's turned around, it, it's not going to be long. In fact, probably some of us are in situations right now. Work and others where you're being asked to do things. You say, I can't do that. You're being asked to say things. You say, I can't say that. You're being asked to celebrate things. You say, I can't celebrate that where we need to learn to navigate with courage and grow in our intolerance of certain things. I'm going to end with this. Jesus, when he, when he speaks to seven of the churches at the start of the book of Revelation, there are these seven churches in the Asia Minor area, and they all get a, they all get a letter from Jesus. You think, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be really cozy. <laughs> Letter from Jesus. Well, <laughs> two out of seven don't get told off. Five out of seven do. 
They get encouragements as well. But very often, do you know what they're told off for? Tolerance. Tolerance. They're tolerating certain teaching or certain characters or certain ways that should not be tolerated in the house of God. Okay, Because it's not a club. It's the house of God. Okay, It's not how do we want it to be. No, it's how does he want it to be. It's his home. We're his people. And we've been purchased with the blood of Jesus. Amen. We no longer belong to ourselves. We're his. There's a higher authority. There's him. There's a higher devotion to him. Higher than anything else. And it's ever so important that we do not. That we serve the purpose of God in our generation. Our parents in this nation may not have had to face it. We do. What are we going to do? Who are we going to be? And I believe here in Daniel we have a wonderful example of a man who says, I will not allow myself to be intimidated by envious people or ungodly laws or threats of imprisonment because, because there's something transcendent going on, going on here that if we don't as God's people, stand for, if we don't develop an immovability on certain things. And the Bible says that the church is the, the pillar and the buttress of the truth, which means the church is calling as a pillar, and buttresses are big stones on the other side of a pillar. So it's like you hold up the truth. You hold up the truth. So when the church loses that ability to stand and be firm, the truth collapses. It's not like it's no longer true, but we're no longer being the witness we're called to be of saying this is the truth. And so brothers and sisters, when we're in the book of Daniel, the beauty of it is, is that we're in one of the few books uh, of the Bible where you're set in, a, in a, the context is not the Holy Land. It's the world. It's the world. It's, it's the nation's. It's the place where, which doesn't recognize the true God. And unfortunately, and tragically in our nation, that's more and more the case. But it, what it does mean is that Daniel gives us a wonderful compass for how to navigate what it means to be a Christian. Amen. And for those of you, just to say, you, they may, you may be here with a friend, with a family member. You're here, you're visiting, you're thinking, oh, this is, this is heavy stuff. Yeah, it is, it's heavy stuff. It is heavy stuff. Yeah, we, 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 we have a great time singing. There's joy. There's celebrations, all of that. But there's also, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a seriousness about this. This is life and death. This is eternal things. And um, the Bible says that there is one man, and only one man, who has completely fulfilled the law of God. Okay. Through his life, he fulfilled the, the blessed side of that and is the only man ever to be declared righteous by God as a result of his lifestyle. Okay, The only man. And then he embraced the curse of the law, which is if you, do the, if you don't do these things, if you don't keep my laws, you know the, the wages of sin is death. He embraced the curse. He became a curse for us by hanging on a tree. And in, in, in that, he completely fulfilled the law of God positively, completely fulfilled the law of God negatively, brought the law to its goal in himself. So that all of us who are lawbreakers, we're all spiritual lawbreakers, we're all moral lawbreakers, none of us 
keep the law of God. Start with the Ten Commandments, you get to the first one, and you go, oh, okay, we've all fallen at the first hurdle. I have, no, I have nothing and no one else before God. Okay, failed. My heart's gone after other things more than him. All of us have failed. Hallelujah. Jireh has provided his one and only son to stand in our place, to live in our place, to die in our place, and to be resurrected as a testimony of who he truly is. And he's been exalted, and the Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's waiting for all of his enemies to be gathered under his feet. And you can join him today through simple faith and repentance, by trusting in Jesus, his work for you on the cross, and by turning away from sin, turning away from everything God hates, wholeheartedly, leaving it at the foot of the cross and embracing Christ, you can have the joy of being born again. Do not leave this place without doing that. Do not leave this place without knowing the joy of salvation. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.